Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's happening, everybody? I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. And we're coming off of a pretty big weekend here where the Phillies take four out of five against the Washington Nationals. They did what they were supposed to do. They're four games over 500. They're on the fringe of a wild card spot as they head down to Texas for a quick two-game series with the Rangers before a four-game set with the San Diego Padres. And Anthony will bring you in here. Phillies did what they were supposed to do against two weaker division opponents. A refreshing change of pace, no? Yeah, it's a good change of pace, Bob. One I wish that I had here this morning. Um, don't don't get old. Whatever you do, Bob, don't get old. <laughs> Before we really dive into the Phillies, seriously, this is going. To, I don't want. To, I don't want to take up too many too much time. But we, you know, we're recording twenty five minutes later than I than I had that I had requested, um, and it's all my fault. And it's because, you know, I had to get ready for an event today. And usually I used to, t- used to take me 10 minutes to be able to get ready. You know, like, yeah, I'll be in and out of the shower, get dressed 10 minutes. Now it takes me that long just to get the right temperature of the water in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know what happened. How did I get so slow? So don't get old, okay? Everything I do is, like, much longer than it used to be. See, don't I, don't think I, take- it's, I don't think it's me. I think it's everybody around me. It's my wife. It's my, my kid. Like, I'm usually the guy, if you say, like, be there at 8 o'clock, I'm sitting in the parking lot at 7.55, ready to go. Yeah. Now I say, oh, I'll get there at 8 o'clock, and I'm there at 8.40 if I'm lucky. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens. But anyway, no, you're 100% right about the Phillies. I mean – we talked about this. Like we would have been happy with three out of five in Washington, right. and they got they took the fourth one. And you know, a couple of those games were a little hairier than they needed to be against a, against a bad team. But last year's team would have lost those games. This year's team won those games, and that's the that's the the, the, the fine line, right? Sometimes you always talk about how close it is between the difference between winning and losing, being a winning team and being a losing team. It's such a fine line in sports. Well, there's your fine line. Like, if you wanted to compare the Phillies of 2021 versus the Phillies of 2022, the fine line is they blew those games last year. They're winning those games this year. And that's the difference. And that's why we think that – I mean, I think that's why you feel and I feel they're both uh, – they're a better team this year and are probably a playoff team this year. So it's very interesting. If you go back to the start of the Marlins series – and let's just kind of walk through this momentarily. Uh-huh. So Phillies win the opener against Alcantara. It's a great win. You have the Reese Hoskins walk-off. And it looks like – the, in, in the second game, the Tuesday night game, they're going to win the series, clinch the series at that point. And they have just about as bad of a loss as you can possibly have. Jerry's familiar struggles. Corey Knable implodes, ends up then losing his job as a closer. And then they come back in the rubber match, and they don't do anything. They don't hit. They blow opportunity after blown opportunity. Reese Hoskins turns an inside-the-park homer into a triple, gets stranded. Looks like it's going to be one of their flattest, most dismal losses of the season. And more of the same against the Marlins team that's really had their number over the last, you know, handful of years here. So then, 
they get the walk off by Garrett Stubbs, and I'm building towards something here. They come out in the opener against the Nationals, and they they blow Washington's doors off. But then after that, they played a bunch of games where could have gone either way, extra innings, some blown saves, some weirdness late in games, and they survive, and they end up winning the first four games of the series, take four out of five, they don't care who you're playing. On the road, four out of five is pretty damn good. Cannot argue with it. But the reason why I kind of do this slow buildup is if you watch the Phillies play those three games against Miami and those five games against Washington, I just want to ask you this. Were you were you impressed with what you watched? I, I know they went six and two. I know they're in a good spot right now. But did you take away from that? Wow, I'm really impressed with what I'm watching from this team right now. And I ask you that because we skew negative, and I felt myself going a little little negative this weekend. Well, well I mean, I can, I, I'll I'll give you a hedge answer. Was I impressed by the baseball? No. Was I impressed by how they? were resilient and able to overcome their shortcomings and overcome their mistakes, which they have not been able to do in the past, yes, that's where I was impressed. Right. And I think there were mistakes all around. There were mistakes by the manager. There were mistakes in the field. There were mistakes everywhere. I mean, it was just it was just kind of like frustrating a couple of times. Um, but they, they found a way. And, and that's, what, that's what you do. When, you, when you're not – you're not always going to be playing the best game you're not always going to be playing your worst game. You're a lot of the times, most of the time, you're going to be somewhere in the middle, and 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 finding finding the way to win when you're not at your best is, is what's important. Like you got to win those games more often than not. And you know they're finding ways to win those middle of the road games where they're not they're not at their best. That's important. That's those are the games that matter the most. And you know it's funny. You go back and look at championship seasons by any team, right? I'm sure that they 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 have dozens of games like this. And you sit there and go, man, they really weren't playing well. But, wow, they won somehow won 9 out of 12 in those, in those games. Yeah, How did that I happen? Mean, you look at them right now, and they go 11-11 in April, 10-18 in May, and they're 15-3 in June. They've scored 108 runs. They've given up 72. I mean, they're winning at an 83.3% clip right now. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm not arguing. And that's kind of what I was driving at. It, it's like they they haven't played their best baseball through this entire stretch, but now they're starting to win games where they've been less than 100%, not firing on all cylinders. And in a way, uh, oddly enough, I mean, you want to see the bullpen hold leads late. You want to see them come out and beat bad pitchers. Uh, the bats kind of went quiet at times over the weekend against a, a pretty, uh, I would say, substandard pitching staff in Washington. But they still won the games, and I do think that there's something to be said for winning ugly, uh, winning when you're not when you're not totally clicking. And as you said, this is something that this team has not done, uh, or has certainly done often enough in recent years. Well, keep keep in mind too. I mean, you were you were down Harper a couple of games. Yeah, and I was going to get one, I was going to get yeah, the one game. The one game you played without Harper, you also played without Hoskins, who has been. Who has been pretty good for you of late? So I mean, you were putting kind of together some piecemeal lineups too, that you say, well, the hitting was inconsistent. Okay, well, it, you, you weren't also were not the top of the order has been so good, and then all of a sudden now you take your two and three hitter out of the lineup. Right. It's gonna that's gonna change things. So so I you know I I, I kind of give them a little bit of a pass on being offensively inconsistent, especially against Washington. Um, that can't that can't continue here, obviously. San Diego, especially against San Diego. I mean, Texas isn't terrible, but their pitching's not good. So I think that the offensively, the, you'll, the Phillies will still be okay there. 
But you can't be like that against. You can't be inconsistent against the Padres and expect to win. I think the one thing that jumped out at me watching them play, uh, really dating back to the beginning of the Marlins series, this has been going on all year. Now they've had bullpen issues. Sometimes the bullpen sets up these situations. They they force these situations. Sometimes the bullpen has ruined uh, some really good moments, like we've talked about previously. But it feels like um, at this point in the season, just being in the middle of June here, trending towards the back end of June. This team has had so many clutch, late-inning, big at-bats, like, you know, and and big wins on top of it. And like I said, obviously some of those wins have been spoiled, but I just feel like the, the one thing that I, when you stand back and you get the day off and you're not watching every inning and kind of, you know, grinding through every at-bat and overanalyzing everything, it's just like, Jesus, this team, they've had a number of just crazy games, crazy wins. You use the word resilient. We've used it a lot on this show. It's hard not to watch this and kind of say, yeah, there's a lot of flaws, but damn, there's just something about this team where they, they make it interesting, you know? And I'll give you a guy, Bob, that really you talk about, you know, those clutch late game at bats. And, I, you know, I don't have any statistical data on this. This is just from memory and and. You know what I what I've watched, what I've seen, and it's, it's statistically he's not having a great year. Um, he he was hot earlier, but now he's just kind of like meh. Mm-hmm. Is Alec Bohm? I it just seemed to think when when the games seem to matter is when he comes through the late in the game. Like always seems like here comes Alec Bohm. Uh, he's up here in the eighth, in the eighth or ninth inning or, or even extra innings. And, you know, it's one out, you know, they're down a run, and he finds a way to get a single or finds a way to hit that double in the gap. And it's like, where, where the hell is this, you know, coming from? Like, this guy is actually pretty clutch in, in those spots. And I don't necessarily know if there's a way of, of like, looking at, um, what, you know, what, where he's at. I mean, I know uh, uh, Baseball Reference has those late and close um, uh, stats, but I don't think that that's always – you know what I'm talking about? Like I don't think that's always what you're looking at and saying, "Oh, okay, that's that'll 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 really show you." Because I don't think it does. I think you just have to look at like those specific, like you said, specific situations, and you find that the guy comes up in those spots and just delivers. And then, like he's delivering at those spots more than he is at any other point in the game. The rest of the game, he's kind of kind of you know missing <laughs> at yeah, times. It's interesting because I agree with you. I mean, it feels like when he's gotten his hits, they've, they've been well-timed. He's been in the middle of some really key sequences for this team. And it's just an interesting player. And I, I think that when you talk about Alec Boehm, there's always like this, this really intense debate about what he is and what he can be. And, and is he really truly a valuable player? And to your, to, to kind of, I guess, Go through this. I mean, you look at his splits in all of these individual situations, and to be blunt, they're bad. Um, I mean, yeah. if you if you just look, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about the numbers that you were speaking to in a moment, and they're not good. Um, well, I, there is one that's good. But like, if you look at where he's at for the month of June, seventy one at bats. I mean, the guy's hitting two eleven with a five thirty nine OPS. That's terrible. But you right. go into the late and close, right? I mean, he's hitting two fifty six with a six sixty three OPS. But hey, but look at go by go by inning and look at the ninth inning. Ninth inning. Let's see. Here we go. Uh, yeah, he's hitting 455 in the ninth inning. Yeah. So he's 10 for 25 in the ninth inning with a double and a home run. And I mean, so he has had some big hits in the ninth. 
And it's interesting, though, because, like, if they grade it out, if you go behind that, I think we're look or above that, we're looking at the same thing now. Like, high leverage situations. Yeah. It's hitting 200. But yeah. it kind of goes to your point. Like, the, the numbers aren't really good. If you watch them day in, day out, you're kind of, like, underwhelmed by him, I think. Yeah. But there have been just, a, a, like I said, a number of sequences where he's provided, if not the game tying hit or the go-ahead hit, a hit that sets up that big moment. You know, yeah, and right, like kind of like pass the baton to, to type. And of it's thing. more, it's more of that. You're 100 percent right. It's more of that. He's not been the guy that's getting the the big hit, but he's the guy that's lead, allowing the big hit to happen. Unless it was against Josh Hader in the ninth at Milwaukee. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, one. but see, you're right. But you know what though? More people will remember that Veerling hit the walk off. Yeah. Then yeah. will the that Alec Bohm hit the tying home run. He's just such an interesting player because the one thing. I have to say, and I, I have gotten an opportunity. I mean, heck, he was on our show. I've talked to, to Ruben Amaro Jr. frequently, but he was on, and if you watch the Father's Day broadcast on Peacock, if you're able to find it, I know that Philadelphia is melting down about it. But when you talk about story. Alec Bowman. I got a great story about that, by the way. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, yeah, but when like you it. talk about Alec Bowman, it's always like, well, he had the meltdown earlier in April, and since then he's been pretty good, and he's really swung the bat really well. And I'm like, that's not really true. He's been... He's been functional at third base. Certainly, he's been better than what he was in that meltdown game against the Mets. But he's still a very average at best third baseman who's not really hitting enough to offset his mediocrity as a defensive third baseman. I, I think when you watch him, though, you see some of these moments that we're talking about. You see the size. Occasionally, he will go through spurts where he drives the ball. And you're just hoping that with more bats that this gets unlocked. But it's just... It's hard to kind of bank on that at this point. Let me ask you this about him, Bob. Do you think that – you know, I think one of the problems with Bohm is he's – he you know, obviously he doesn't walk. He doesn't get – his own base is, is really bad. But do you think it's a situation where they're not worried about that right now they just want him to go up there and have an aggressive enough approach till he gets comfortable enough hitting the ball in those situations and then down the road it'll be like, okay, now that you've got that, now let's work on being more selective. Do you think that's more of a of a, a team instructional thing with him as opposed because when when he came up as a rookie, he seemed to have that ability to to take those pitches, take close pitches, and work some walks. And now all of a sudden he doesn't do it anymore. He's much more aggressive and swings a lot of pitches than he didn't, that he didn't used to. Then and I'm wondering if it's more of a team-focused approach to try and get him to be a more consistent hitter. Yeah, th there may be something to that, and I think that the Phillies at this point, considering where they're at from from an offensive standpoint, obviously having more guys hit for power and elite production is better than having less guys, but I do think where their lineup's at and as productive as it's been, they're top five in a lot of major categories, run production, uh, OPS, things of that nature, so I think that they are probably just saying, this is fine, this is adequate for now. I kind of always look at it and say, but but then what? Like, where are we at two years from now? Does he factor in in 2024? Is this a guy that they can kind of bank on if Reese Hoskins isn't here? Can they move him across the infield and, and let him play first base? And so what I start to do when I when I see a player like this, and we talk about the the big hits, but then sort of being underwhelmed on the daily. Like uh, this is where I always like to try to bring in the deeper numbers and, and start to look at things, and it's it's bizarre. Like, if you look at, at the baseball savant, the stat cast numbers, he's hitting the ball uh, less less hard. Um, 
like his exit velocity is 89.9. Last year it was 92 miles an hour. So that's down, right? And his hard hit percentage is actually down as well. But when you look at expected batting average, like check this out. So he hits 338 his rookie year and everybody goes crazy. But his expected batting average was 285, which would then suggest to you there's some luck involved to these events happening. Then 2021, he hits 247 with a 261 expected batting average. Eh. Now this year he's at 252, but the expected batting average is the highest of his three-year career, which is 295, and he should have the and his, his slugging percentage is actually higher, or uh, is is lower than it was as a rookie, but his expected slugging percentage is as highest as it should have been or it, it, that has been to this point. So, I guess what I'm saying is, <laughs> I know I'm kind of like getting lost in the numbers here. The the deeper analytical numbers suggest that he should be hitting for a better average and his slugging percentage should be higher than it's played. Yeah, and, and, I, and that's what I, and that's why I asked what I asked because when you, th- you know, I, I kind of feel the same way. And again, I'm not the analytics guy, right? But I mean, I, you know, I think that those numbers that you just gave us, those analytic numbers match up with what, what, what with what we're seeing from the guy. Um, and, and I, it makes me wonder like, okay, is he swing? He seems to be swinging at more pitches. He seems to be, and maybe that's why that those you know expected numbers should be a little bit higher because he is at least making contact. And also, you said, well, why is this, is the exit velocity down? Again, he's probably swinging at pitches that he didn't used to swing at. Yeah, and maybe a couple of them are out of the strike zone. Oh, I agree. So that, I, you know what I'm saying? And that brings that that number down. But I think that that has to be that ha- in my mind that has to be an organizational approach with him because of how bad it went for him last year. Like they, they, they kind of let's, right, let's remake Alec Bohm. He's not he's not going to be a three thirty eight hitter like we saw in his rookie season, but we can't have him be what he was last season when he got sent down. So let's let's find out well, well, what he is. Be aggressive. We have we have hitters around you. This is the kind of season you could do that. And then when you're twenty five and twenty six, that's when we'll work on really really finding you know being your your selectivity yeah and to your point i mean his strikeout rate has decreased from 26.6 last season to 22.3 this season and yeah. you look at that number and you go well, that's not that big of a deal but when you take those two numbers and just look at the decrease on percentage it's substantial yeah. Yeah. so i mean he is putting more balls in play at a higher rate and i do think that that probably lends to some of the contact numbers skewing the way that they have here um in terms of exit velocity, hard hit percentage, barrels, all that stuff. So, okay, I, I have a question for you then. Let's reset this. You know, they come into this Texas series four games over 500, and I uh, went through some numbers here. I always like to just take a peek at the projections and playoff odds, and you had said earlier in the show that you believe this is a playoff team. We've we've sort of, I think, other than when they were nine games under 500 or whatever it was, eight games under 500, uh, I, for the most part, believe that this is a, a playoff team. I just thought they were starting to dig themselves such a hole that it would be almost impossible to get out of. But lo and behold, 15-3 and three in the month of June. So, fan graphs. 41.3% Phillies postseason odds this morning. 538 has them at 48%. And baseball reference, 43.5%. So, take a look at these numbers basically what all three are saying is that it is more likely than not that the Phillies will miss the postseason so we'll we'll work through this two different ways one your first reaction to that I know that you're not uh, real big on the playoff projections and odds I know that I'm setting this up so I'll let you speak to that first and then I'll ask this question a different way 
yeah, 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 whatever. I mean, they're they are what they are. I think that they're mostly for conversational purposes. Basically, computers saying, "Well, yeah, this is what's going to happen," mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't take any into, uh, into account any element of any human element, which affects the outcome of games. So, yeah, I mean, I those numbers like, don't have the the Rob Thompson effect to them. Is what yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But again, and and you know, I don't. I, I feel like I beat a dead horse because I do think that there are two teams that the Phillies are absolutely better than. Talent wise, and 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 ultimately will play out. Um, You're getting ahead we'll, of my question now. <laughs> well, go, well, go ahead. I'll let you ask the question. Yeah, I mean, so I have it written down right here in my notes. Who are the Phillies better than? So, uh, I, so here they are, right? It, just is just is wild card now. You have the Padres uh, at forty two and twenty seven. Have the first wild card. The Braves right now at thirty nine and twenty nine. They beat the Giants last night in the series opener. They have the second wild card, and the Giants are hanging on right now to that third wild card at 37 and 29. The Cardinals are a half game uh, behind, and they're also jockeying for uh, the NL Central with Milwaukee. And then you have the Phillies, and then you have nobody else. Everybody else in the National League is absolutely abysmal. Yeah, um, it's an eight. It's eight teams for six spots. Yes. Is what it is. Um, and if I was, if I'm going to actually, I could probably argue that they're better than three teams, but I'll I'll just say at least two for now. Um, I think that they're better than Milwaukee. I, I really do. Milwaukee relies way too much on good starting pitching and good back into the bullpen. Has no lineup. Has no middle bullpen. And I think it's just they hit like home runs. Open. Milwaukee, though. I mean, Milwaukee does. They do hit home runs. I know they've won four in a row, and that's how they've kind of like gotten back ahead of the Cardinals here. Um, but I, I just don't. I don't see over the long haul. I don't see it. I think that they're going to really need to add. Look, if, if the Brewers add like the Braves did at the deadline last year and add three guys who could come in and really kind of impact their lineup like the Braves did, well, then it's a different story. Then we're having a different conversation, right, because their, their pitching is good enough to get them through. Um, but I, I think right now, as, it's, as, as the teams are constituted, and I think we saw it when they played Milwaukee, the, the Phillies are a better team. The Phillies are just a better team than the Brewers. And I think that they're better than the Giants, although the Giants have surprised me a little bit lately. Um, I know they lost the last two, but um, b- prior to that, they got on a little bit of a run. Um, and, you know, th- I, th- I think that they had won, what, seven of eight prior to that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I th- they, that was a team that I was like, okay, they're ripe for the picking. They're going to start to fall off. And we're going to see it. And that's who, the, that's who the Phillies and Braves are going to catch. Well, the Braves did catch them, um, because, but the Braves won 14 in a row. Um, the, I think the Phillies are going to catch San Francisco, ultimately. And I think that they're, pro- I, they're honestly probably better than St. Louis. The thing about the Cardinals is I think the Cardinals have that, that devil magic with them, man. And, and you know, they, these veteran guys going for one last ride together. I mean, I think that there's just something about them that's going to get them in to the playoffs. I think they're going to win the Central. Um, but if you ask me, are the Phillies a better team than the Cardinals? Probably, but the thing of it is, one of one of St. Louis and Milwaukee has to win the division, so you can't you can't say, well, they're better than both of them. Well, that knocks them out. I, I'm doesn't. with you. I mean, obviously, yeah. the trade deadline can can alter things here, but I think that the Cardinals probably do win the NL Central, and I think that the Phillies are better than the Brewers. And I'm with you. I tend to believe that they're better than the Giants at this point, but I guess that remains to be seen. I will tell you, some of these computer models, though, we talk about them all the time, and and some of these computer models actually like the Giants more than they like the Padres, which is well, which is. I was, I, was, I was just about to say this about the Padres. 
you know, what's been, what's Machado's injury? Have we seen an update on Machado's injury? He got hurt yeah, the other day. Yeah, for a while. I mean, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty bad sprain is the last, last. Yeah. Result. Okay. So Machado's going to, Machado's going to be out. Okay. So that's, that's not good. Um, we saw what happened last year when they had a couple of injuries, when Tatis went down, um, you know, obviously he's not even really back yet. Uh, and then they're, they're surviving on their pitching again, another team that survives on pitching, but they don't have the pitching depth. Last year, that killed them when they all of a sudden they had a couple of injuries uh, to their pitching rotation, and they were desperate enough to use Jake Arrieta and Vince Velazquez, right, to try and survive and couldn't, and they fell right the hell out of it after the deadline. Right. So, so maybe that's why I think you know there might be a little bit of smoke and mirrors with the Padres. Um, I mean, you, you start taking their best players out of the lineup, and then you know cross your fingers that pitching doesn't get hurt. I, again, I, that could be another team, and I think that we'll see a lot, a lot. Well, you know, this weekend, I think. When we watch this four-game series between the Phillies and Padres, we'll, we'll let us know where these two teams are against one another. Yeah, and with Machado, he was out of the lineup in the series opener against the Diamondbacks. They're doing that whole thing right now where they're hoping that he can avoid the IL stint. Like, yeah. I feel like I've seen this a million times with the Phillies, not to say this is what's going to happen with Machado, but they're using words like he's pretty banged up, it's it's blue and purple, uh, but we're optimistic, and then, you know, four days later they have to IL a guy. Like, I, I yeah. feel like that may be where this is headed, but... Then again, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if he's out there running around against the Phillies this weekend either. So we'll we'll kind of see, but it it is interesting. You would think at some point the the NL West being what it is with the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants that these teams would begin to beat beat each other up, and really you might see that a little bit in the NL East. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the Braves and Mets have only played each other four times so far this season, so they're right. going to see each other a ton down the stretch, I guess. What is that? Another 14, 15 games they would play one another uh, from well, here it's, on it's, out? It's why I think the Braves are still going to win the division. I, ultimately, I think the Mets are a wild card team and the Braves win that division. But I mean, that's and, and that's the reason why. they haven't play, I, mean, I, I felt like the Mets got off to a great start. And not, not to knock them. I mean, they've well, been like, better, I mean, they've been better than I thought. The Grom Scherzer doesn't matter. Yeah, no, no they've been better than I thought they were going to be. Because I, I think all, I, I, I'll admit it. When I look at the the standings, I kind of go, you can cut down an eight-game lead on the New York Mets as the New York Mets are constructed. They've played over their heads. They've had this magical ride. Credit to them. But then when I think about it, I, I kind of say, all right, well, if if a team were to add Max Scherzer in July and a team were to add Jacob deGrom in July, if they were to add both of those guys, no team in the National League stands to to add more than the Mets do moving forward. Now, I know that they're getting good starting pitching to begin with, so how much better can it be? Can they stay on the field? How effective will they right. be? But, man, like, there's oh, yeah, yeah. two big names to kind of pin down at the end here. And you're not wrong, but my argument back would be, at least with the Grom, he hasn't been healthy for, what, almost three years. I know. Like, I mean, he goes through this and, you know, we see stretches of games where he's DeGrom and he's the best pitcher in baseball. And then all of a sudden it's like uh, DeGrom scratched with a minor shoulder thing and then he's out for two months again. Like, you know, he's Clayton Kershaw. (laughs) The same thing, like with the Dodgers. Like, Kershaw's constantly in and out of the lineup. Best pitcher in the game. But he's constantly in and out of the lineup. Scherzer, not so much. We don't really see Scherzer have these these kind of injuries. But he is getting older now, right? He's 37, 38, whatever he is. So, I mean, it's possible that he's got some breakdown. I just think Atlanta is just – their players are more in their prime. And, and they're just a better all-around team. Ultimately, I think that they're the best team in the East. 
Um, and, and the Mets and Phillies are wildcard teams. Should be very interesting to see how that plays out. Now, I, I do want to get to uh, some of the starting pitching uh, concerns. Yeah, the Phillies well, was, yeah I was going to say, we got, right, this is something I wanted to talk with you about, so I'm glad you got it on the list. All right, so I do want to get to that, but I, I think I want to just clear the, uh, the, clear the offense first. So I do want to talk about something that, that has become a little bit worrisome or bothersome. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll start by saying that through two months, Kyle Schwarber was, was terrible. Um, awful. awful. Just awful. He was driving the ball at times, but the average is just blatantly, it was just unacceptable. Uh, and the walk rate was there, but it wasn't enough to offset the bad ball production. The numbers just don't stack up. And then he goes crazy this month. And he has seven home runs. Five doubles. The OPS is over a thousand. He's hitting 284 in June. Season saved. He's he's on pace for 40 plus home runs. Looks like a great signing. So we all feel good about this. And I don't really want to talk about Kyle Schwarber, but I bring up Kyle Schwarber because for two months we weren't feeling very good about him. And now you kind of look at the, the big picture and say, this is good. This plays. Nick Castellanos. I know that he was not brought here to play right field. And so I can't ding him all that much for his lack of range and poor arm. But I will just say, as a general observation, Sunday included, there was a ball, I believe it was once Knable, was it when Knable was in the game or it was, I think Nelson was still in the game and they had to go to Knable. Ball goes out to right field. And I mean, just how do you, how do you not make that play? Like no extension, no range. And that, it bothers me, but that's not what they signed him for, so okay. But what they did sign him for is to produce offensively. And I I was all in on Nick Cassianos. Like I, I just think the guy is a, a really good hitter. He's He's been a consistent hitter throughout his career. He's an extra base hit machine. And I can't tell you how unimpressed I've been with him this season. And I've tried to work myself into it and, like, I can twist myself into a pretzel trying to come up with some optimistic numbers. Like, I feel like you watch him day in, day out, and you're not really that impressed, but you're like, all right, the last 15 days, he's he's hitting 288. Like, that's pretty good. But in the month of June, I mean, he's hitting 227. He's slugging 288. He has four extra base hits during the month of June. No home runs. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, let's get it going here. Uh, it, I, it's the Ben Simmons house. That's the problem. <laughs> he moved into Ben Simmons house. That's That's got to be it, right? I mean, it's all the bad mojo. You know, he said he hasn't felt like himself all year. Well, that's why. Um, no, but you're right. I mean, and, and I, I, you know, it's weird. You know, baseball players are, are strange, and they are creatures of habit. We talked about this a couple years back. Remember when we were, we were arguing about the consistency of a lineup? And, and being in the same lineup spot and just how guys, just certain guys feel better batting in certain spots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably why Bryce Harper never leaves the number three spot because even though there were times when we thought maybe it would be better to bump him up to one or two, he never has because I think it's more he's got that comfort level there. Um, that's not to say Nick Castellanos needs to be somewhere else in the lineup because it needs to make him more comfortable. But, what, but by playing right field every day, which is a position that he probably knows he's not good at, um, and even you know, even though we're not reminding him of it on a daily basis, right. that probably weighs on him. I and, agree. and that probably, you know, what I'm saying, and and because of that, you know, he wants to be this stud player, and he feels like he can't be that stud player because because of his shortcomings in the field, and and I think that that affects him. Now, 
he's not been like you said he's not been horrible but he's not been worth his contract to this point um do I believe he'll figure it out I still do I still do I mean like you said you could you could look at like at spurts he goes through spurts in the season and it's like oh wow well, there you go well that's that's Nick Castellanos I mean he he was that remember at the beginning of the year he was that when he was when Harper was playing in the field and and he was kind of in the role that he was supposed to be in, you know, splitting time in left field and, and mostly DHing, right? When you when you look at that breakdown, but then once once it was since what was it May May thirty first was that when Harper went out of the lineup? Uh, well, Harper went out in, in late April. April third, April thirtieth. I'm sorry, yeah. April thirtieth. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I knew it was the end of the month. Um, uh, yes, but when you when you look at it from that point forward. I think that's where you look at Castellanos' numbers and you go, okay, that's where it went bad. Because on April 30th, Nick Castellanos was hitting 300, 374 on base, 849 OPS. And then, and then since then, what's it been? Well, so I actually, I actually have that. So since May 1st, you take his production over the last 45 games, and he's hitting 232 with a 650 OPS. Yeah. yeah. Four that's, home that's, runs. Four home runs since the – Beginning of May, he has two home runs in his last 110 at bats. So yeah. there's just been no power whatsoever. And I mean, to kind of just further go into this, you look at slugging percentage. It was in the mid 500s, I believe, last season. Um, he hit, yeah, slugging percentage was 576 last year. And I'm not asking him to slug 576 this season, but he's slugging 401 this season. Um, yeah. And the expected outcomes are again they're better than than what they've been, and so there is definitely room in there. But you you have to hope uh, that that it's coming. And I will say to his credit, you know he has had to battle, as you've mentioned, through this this positional situation. Probably takes some of those defensive shortcomings into his at bats. We used to talk about this with Alec Bohm all the time. But to his credit, the numbers aren't. God awful. Like we're not talking about a guy right now that's that's hitting 210 either. I right. mean, he's he's still he's still hitting 253. It's just the power numbers haven't been there. So and so let's I mean, just just for just for just for kicks, right? I mean, you mentioned like you said oh the last 15 games, but like, you know, he had two the last two games were not great. Obviously, he was 0 for 5 uh in the game that they won Saturday night. Um and then he was 0 for 3 yesterday um or Sunday rather. Um when they lost but before that, if you go from the Milwaukee series, like just, you know, from June 7th to June 17th, we're talking about a 10-day stretch, he hit 341, 396. And then, yes, there's no power, but he did have four doubles, 828 OPS. Like, you give me that, I'm okay. <laughs> like, yeah, he hit uh- – <laughs> It's funny. I actually just took your your uh, sample size here. That first Milwaukee game through uh, the eight seven win on Friday night. So yeah. just get rid of Saturday and Sunday, and it starts to look good. He was hitting three forty one over twelve game stretch with uh, an eight twenty eight OPS. Again, a lot of singles in there and stuff. But, uh, but you know, so like, but I'm saying, is that a cleanup hitter? Traditional, no, because he's not. He's not giving us the power, but. You know what I'm saying? Like, like right. you know, what if you would would you be would you be opposed to this idea? What if you? And I'm serious with this. Because, no, no, no. But flip him with flip him with Hoskins. Hoskins has shown he's hitting for power. Mm. Now, granted, I think Hoskins is the benefit beneficiary of getting the pitches because Harper's behind him. 
But because Hoskins has kind of been going a little bit better lately, maybe you put Castellanos in that spot and say, let's see if Castellanos gets better pitches to hit because Harper's behind him. Well, given the way that they're winning games right now and that from a a big-picture perspective, the offense has still been pretty productive, I probably don't do anything right now. But things have cooled a little bit. You get Bryce Harper back in the lineup, see where you're at. If this were to kind of continue where they're, they go into a prolonged stretch where they're not really consistently scoring runs again, I do think that that's maybe something you look at. But as it is right now, I have to, I think, apply the if it's not broke, don't, don't fix it fix principle it. to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, let's pivot to the uh, pitching situation here. And I guess let's start with the starters, which... Uh, Zach Eflin, you know, I tweeted out a couple weeks ago that I think he's uh, tremendously underrated. We've talked about him a lot on the show. Uh, I really like him when he's healthy. Uh, I certainly like him a lot. Sometimes he leaves you wanting a little bit more, but I think by and large, guy's a pretty damn good pitcher. That being said, uh, the uh, other night, I guess against the Marlins two starts ago, uh, he got himself into some trouble very early on in the game, and then he settled in. Uh, and was great. I believe he went six innings, gave up four runs on the first inning, and he only needed 55 pitches to get through his final five innings of that game, and he comes out. And we all said, well, what the hell's going on? Why is he out of the game? What are they doing? And then they go on to lose. Uh, and then we come to find out that there was uh, a little bit of a knee flare-up. Uh, he gets checked out. Everything looks okay. He goes to make his next start. Phillies say after Sunday's start that the plan all along was to keep him at about three innings, which I think in and of itself is a little bit of a concern. But yep. he was not even able to do that. Now, we all kind of hold our breath. We're recording this very early on Tuesday morning, so we don't have news on him yet. By the time you listen to this, there may be news on him. Given the injury history, given what we know about his knees in the past, uh, I am a little bit nervous that this is going to be uh, more than just a, uh, you know, he might have to skip a start or we're going to just keep a close eye on him. What's your sense of this? Because on Sunday, the velocity wasn't terrible. But he could not drive the ball down in the zone, and he got crushed. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, and far be it from me to give credit to um, guys who talk on the radio, right? But um, I was listening to John Ritchie on, on WIP talk about patellar tender, patella tendon injuries. Um, and he said that, you know, everybody talks about ACLs and MCLs and this and that. And he's like, they're, they're such long to recover, you know, such injury, long recovery times for those injuries. He says, but I'll tell you, patella tendons ruin careers more than the ACLs do. He says, they just do. He says, it's, he says, guys can't put the weight that they need to constantly on that leg to kind of, whether it's a push-off or plant for a pitcher, it doesn't matter. you got to put so much weight on it, especially with the torque that you're throwing with from your upper body. He said, it could be something that will be degenerative and not ever really get better, even though there's been surgery. Um he says you'd almost rather a guy miss a year with an ACL and come back because a lot of times when you come back from that, you're, you're just as good as you were before. Yeah. He says those patella injuries, he says it's it's just where it is in the knee. He says, and, and you look at every sport, anybody who's had it, tell me who's had a great career after having that kind of surgery. And he says it's hard to find them. And, and so I sit there and, yeah, it's a concern. It's a concern. And it's funny because – you know, you think about it, Eflin's, I guess, considered the five-pitcher right now, mostly because of that, mostly because he's pitched the fewest innings of any of their main starters. But he, overall, his numbers are still really, really good, despite yeah. the fact that he gave up those four runs in, in the first thing, despite the fact that he couldn't get through two innings. 
he's still got a whip of 1.19, yeah. right? I mean, he's still been one of their more effective pitchers, probably their third best pitcher behind Nolan Wheeler. Like, it's crazy to me that, you know, that that that, that as even though when he's had his bad moments this year, that goes to show how good he is when he's when he's on. So I don't know. I, I I'm fingers crossed. I'd like to see that maybe I don't. Is it a thing where if you just shut him down for a couple weeks, just drop put him in that like ten to whatever ten or fifteen? I don't know how the DL thing, the IL thing works anymore. It's so crazy. But like give him a couple weeks and then bring him bring him bring him back and he's okay. And then and then we go okay. He only missed a couple starts and now he's now he's going to be healthy again. I don't know. Uh, so that's where I'm, yeah, because I am three, concerned. There's three options here. He just comes back right away and just a hiccup. He he's all right. He pitches through it, and to to what results, who knows? Or he misses three weeks. They they try to rest him, and then you come back and you kind of wait and see where you're at. I mean, those are the three paths that we're looking at here. Yeah. None of them feel like one in which in his next start, like, do you foresee Zach Eflin getting the ball? I hope that we play this a week from now for his sake, for the Phillies' sake. And this sounds like one of the dumbest things ever said on a podcast, but do you foresee Zach Eflin getting the ball against the San Diego Padres this weekend and going seven innings? Because that doesn't feel like the what we're heading towards here. Um, I know. It, it doesn't feel that way, Bob. It doesn't you know, feel and I, that and way. And I hope, I hope he, it is because I, I will say this. I mean, I've, I've had an opportunity to talk a lot of these guys. You like some of them more than others. I like Zach Eflin a lot. I like him from a personal standpoint. Um, yeah. I, I think he really does have the makeup of a pitcher that that can really slot in the middle of a rotation and have a nice career. But there are some some serious question marks looming over him right now. Yeah, I, I you know, the only thing that I can think of, Bob, is, is does he – does he make a push to give one more start just because of it's because it's San Diego? Because, because it's San Diego, maybe. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, you know, it's the team he came up with, right? I just think that that all gets taken out of his hands. I mean, he can want whatever he wants. I think the Phillies ultimately are going to look at the the well, medical. Sure, but I mean, but yeah, but what if he what if he says he feels okay, kind of thing? Like, you know, he, you, know, you could pitchers can lie their way into a start sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I wonder to what extent that just happened. Um, I, I, I do. And yeah. I know the Phillies went in with the plan of, of three innings or so they say after the fact, but you can't continue to give the ball to a guy that, that isn't going to get you through five innings. It just isn't going to work. So I, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. I believe that those examinations are going to take place today on Tuesday. So we might get an indication of how that comes out by tonight, maybe uh, sometime Wednesday, but we'll know here shortly What's going to happen with him, at least in the short term, and you just hope at the very least this isn't going to be a prolonged issue that keeps him off the field or limits his effectiveness. Uh, I will say that from a greater picture, it does kind of beg the question. You have Aaron Nola here. You have Zach Wheeler here. Two down, two years down the line, you're, you're expecting an Andrew Painter, maybe Mick Abel. Where does this rotation, how does this team kind of deal with its starting pitching situation moving forward long term like they have a big question they need to answer about Zach Eflin is this a guy that they invest in long term and for this season at five and a half million dollars that's all fine and well next year they have a mutual option at 15 million dollars I would imagine that Zach Eflin would probably pick that up with the Phillies I don't know at this point and then in 2024 he's an unrestricted free agent so where do the Phillies go with Zach Eflin long term? And I do wonder. Somebody actually jumped into uh, my my Twitter feed the other day about Eflin while things were going on Sunday, and he says, "This is why." Uh, and I forget who it was, but they're like, "This is why you can't commit to him. He's a good pitcher, but 
could would you really be willing to go four or five years with this guy at fifteen million dollars per when you just don't know how the knees are going to hold up? And it's a fair question. Well, I I I, I I'm not certain that I can I can commit to a long term contract at this point. Um, I, I just obviously can't, right? Uh, but can you commit to, can you say, all right, we'll pick up that option for one year at 15 million and you take the chance next year. Um, depending, obviously depends on how things go with him physically the rest of this year, but I think you take that chance next year. And then I think you use that as the, as the determining factor moving forward. Is this a guy that we can lock in for, you know, maybe you don't go with a five-year deal. Maybe you go, look, Zach, we love you. We'll, We'll pay you something that you're probably worth. But we can't give you that that term because we just don't know with your right. health history. Right. Maybe you come in and say, we'll give you another two years with a third-year option, and we'll see how it goes. Right. And we'll just play it by year after that. You know, maybe you do something like that. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think if you like the guy, if you believe in the guy, if you believe in his stuff, and I, I feel that the Phillies do. I feel that they, they really do like it. Mm-hmm. Then maybe that's how you work it. You know? And, and if, you're, if you're Zach Eflin and his agent, you almost have to look at it and say, yeah, they're right. You know, like it's kind of hard for you to sit there and, and argue yeah, that. I, I don't know. I mean, I know he likes it here. I think he's a good fit with the organization. And as I said, we're talking about this from the Zach Eflin perspective, just the, the human standpoint of this. I mean, I hope it I hope it works out. And for the Phillies, it, it creates a significant problem. Because one of the things that we've talked about on this show right from the jump was that we like the starting rotation and it has played to that. You know, it's it, the rotation's been really good. I think, obviously, they've had some hiccups here and there. Guys have had their struggles. But you take the whole picture and you have to like what this rotation's done. Now, though, the depth becomes a problem. <laughs> and they have none. And, you know, Bailey Falter throws uh, in the doubleheader against the Nationals. And I have to be honest with you, there are some people out there that really like Bailey Falter and think that there's a future there. And, and there may be. Uh, but for a team that's trying to chase down a playoff spot right now, I don't know how excited I am about the prospect of Bailey Falter taking the ball every five games. Um, well, I mean, but, but, but I guess the question is, and I agree with you, I don't think that he's a guy that you can rely on for the rest of the year. But is he a guy you can rely on for a month? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, get, you're looking at what, about five, six weeks here before the trade deadline. So he makes six or seven starts for you maybe before the trade deadline. And I hear you when you say, all right, well, we're not asking him to, to take the ball 17, 18 times here. But at the same time, when you look at the way that this race, I know we're early here. I don't know if race is even the right word, but the way this thing is shaping up, you do wonder at the end of the season, if those six or seven starts, if they're not great, uh, what type of impact that'll have on how things kind of settle here. So, the, you know, I guess the other question is, if not him, then who? And you take a, a look through the Phillies minor league system right now, and you like some of the stuff in A, and then the rest of it is just kind of what what is there. And so I think the only other uh, immediate option they would have would be taking somebody like Christopher Sanchez, stretching him out, and trying to, to get four or five innings out of him at the beginning of games. So the options are not great. And so not only are you worried about this from Zach Eflin's standpoint, losing his production, but then what replaces it? And the drop-off there could be quite significant. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, there is no other option. And like we, we've discussed this, right? I mean, th- there's none. There, there's zero. I mean, they, they got the guy maybe, maybe, maybe 
And you know, we saw that that minor trade they made what like uh, a week and a half ago or so with the Giants, where they sent Austin Wins, yeah. the catcher, out there, and they got Michael Plasmeyer back. Um, I think he gave. I think Plasmeyer's gave them two decent starts at AAA. Not to say that he's an answer, but maybe you can like piecemeal it and you know say, okay, well, between Falter and Plasmeyer, we can kind of get by until the trade deadline. I mean, that's the only other name I think, Bob. And, and you know, why make that trade otherwise? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the only other thing I can think of. Like, that's a guy that they look at and say, hey, if we need a spot start, that's who we're going to rely on. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have to if, – if Eflin if – if this is an injury concern, they're going to have to go out and get a starting pitcher before the deadline. Yeah. And, uh, and a starting pitcher <laughs> akin to what Kyle, they did last year with Kyle Gibson. Kyle Gibson, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one other uh, bit of joy I want to touch on here uh, – <laughs> Corey Knable lost his uh, his spot as this team's closer, and we kind of felt that that was inevitable, uh, and and it has now happened. And he comes in, and he's pitched some some really high leverage spots since, including Sunday, where he's he's basically in the game before the fifth, uh, and it has not gone particularly well for Corey Knable. And I'm actually amazed looking at his numbers that he has a three six two ERA. I've always kind of been results oriented. Yeah. And there's a lot of pushback that, that ERA isn't a good indicator of a, a pitcher's success, but I always think there's something to be said. Yeah, there's always something to be said, though, for, for having a decent ERA, I think. I think it's more valuable than a lot of people do. But, man, yeah. you look at it and you say 3-6-2. feels like this guy's pitching an 8-4 ERA right now. I mean, his, ER, his ERA plus is actually 112. I mean, so, so he's he's better than the average. Even as bad as he's been, he's better than the average relief pitcher in, in Major League Baseball. Well, no, I'll tell it, you why, though. Because in April, he had a, a .96 ERA, and in nine innings, I mean, he gave up he gave up one earned run. He, he held opponents to a 188 batting average. And I know in June, it's it's actually been similar. I mean, opponents are only hitting 200 against him, but he has walked. I mean, his walks, nine walks in six and a third innings pitched this month, and he was bad in June. Yeah, but, here's sorry, and, and this, but this is what I'm saying, and this is why his ERA stays relatively normal. He's given up 23 hits, and he has 22 walks. That's amazing. So it's all walks. It's really all – it's all the – if he could just get control, he'd be okay as a, as a guy in the pen. I, I, look, I, I, he has no confidence. He can't throw that curveball at all. So he just becomes, you know, a fast – guys are just waiting for a fastball in a juicy spot against him. That's really what it's become. He's got no second pitch. So that's that's the issue with Corey Knable right now. And it's not a good one. And, and, and what's a shame is that, you know, he loses the game against the Marlins, loses the, the job. He comes back Friday night and, and gives them a really good inning. I mean – clean inning, no walks, no hits, yep. strikes out two, and you go, okay, this is exactly why you do this. There's something there. This guy is, is has all-star level talent. He's he's going to just figure it out. And you feel really good about his effort on Friday night, and then two days later they go to him in a big spot. Phillies are trying to chip back into that game, and he just can't do it. Yeah. And yeah, you just feel like you're back at square one with him right now. Yeah, I do. I, it's interesting, like, you know, it, it's funny because look, you they they rely on a guy like Brad Hand a little bit more now, right? They say, well, Brad Hand's had a a pretty good season. He's had a couple of games where he's been terrible, but but for the most part, he's been reliable. But if you look at Brad Hand compared to Corey Knable, it's not that different. 
It's not that different. It's one less walk per nine innings. Otherwise, it's a pr- it's pretty much the same thing. And yet, Brad Hand with his two two one. Okay, yeah, yeah, we can put him in late game situations. And Ken Abel's like, oh god, no, we can't can't have him in those high leverage situations anymore. So he right. figures it out. I, I'm as much as I complain about Corey Ken Abel and say I'm done with him. I, I am okay with. Still working it. See if you can figure it out. See if you can find. I mean, they have no those. choice. They they have to. I mean, they just have well, nothing out there. Yeah, I'm well. Well, obviously, you got Dominguez, right? Who's who's now probably your closer. I would hope for the rest of the way, yeah. unless he unless he implodes. Um, you know what? I, I bring him up every once in a while, Bob, and I still th- I think that I think that it's we're starting to see it now. I think Connor Brogdon's kind of ready for one of those more late inning seventh or eighth inning roles he's he's had a he has had his moments where it's like oh man connor you just gave up a bad home run on a bad pitch but he for the most part when he comes in and i forget what game it was he came in in a tight spot was it if it was against washington was it against washington in one of the doubleheader games i think it was maybe the, the second doubleheader game i forget if that was the game but he came in in a tight spot and got out of it like really high leverage kind of game, kind of spot for him. I, I think you could get by with Brogdon and, and, and Hand for now and then maybe go out and get a, a reliever or two. And if Kniebel figures it out, then all of a sudden you got five guys up out there, you know, and Bilotti's not terrible if you need to go to him as like a, as like, you know, an emergency guy. You know, he's okay. I, the bullpen then becomes viable to me. Yeah, I mean, Brogdon pitched on Friday in the first game, I believe. It was the first one, game, one, Friday. Five, three. He went, I think he came out for a second inning, so it was an inning and a third. And I mean, his last nine appearances now, taking a look at this, he's allowed uh, a run in one of them. So, I mean, Connor Brogdon yeah. has done a nice job. You go back to 2020, I was talking about how I thought he was going to be their setup man and somebody that you can really trust in late, late in games with leads. And it hasn't really materialized, or not yet, and it's starting to now. So... Yeah, I do think you feel good about that. I think Andrew Bellotti's done a respectable job for them, but not somebody I'm getting excited about in huge no. situations on a consistent basis. So kind of, you know, hey, I just kind of feel like they are winning right now, and that's all fine and well, but it's the same conversation that we've been having for a few years. You, you don't feel great about center field, even though Matt Veerling and Herrera, I think, give you a nice little little split out there for the time being. I don't think it's a long-term solution, but maybe you get through the year with it. But they need a fifth starter probably at this point, or at least a little bit more rotational depth, uh, with or without Zach Eflin, to be honest. Right, I mean, yeah. I just think that they need to address this in a more meaningful way. Um, and maybe somebody that, if if he's not starting, then he's in the bullpen. You know, a guy that you could swing back and forth that has a little versatility. Or maybe that guy does become Ranger Suarez in the, in the long run. Right. I know we've talked about that. And I know there's concerns about stunting his growth and development as a starter if you do that. But... This team's in a position where they have to maximize whatever it is they do have. So, yeah, I think that's another concern. And then they have to add in some, again, I'll use the word meaningful, but they have to add in a meaningful way to the back end of this bullpen. And and if Sir Anthony Dominguez is your closer, they need an effective setup guy. And if Corey Knable figures it out, that's a bonus at this point. But right. I don't think you can bank on, hey, he'll figure it out, and that's your 8-9 tandem. No, no, not at all. And that's why I said I, I, feel, I still think you need to add a, at least one arm to this bullpen maybe two um, before the deadline. And I think you look at these guys and you say, all right, so let's say you add an arm. Let's say you add an arm and you have Dominguez, the arm that you add, you assume like a late inning type, you know, high leverage spot kind of guy. And then, you know, and then you say, okay, the next tier down is, you know, Hand and Brogdon. Okay, that's not terrible. Kinable starts to figure it out, even if he never gets back to, you know, 
all-star caliber, but he gets, you know, to be somewhat efficient. Okay, that's like a sixth inning kind of guy. You know, and then you got and then you have a Bellotti, and then who knows, maybe maybe um Sam Coonrod can come back and throw. You know, he could be a guy that you can go to in like a fourth or fifth inning kind of thing. That's not a terrible bullpen. Is it the best bullpen in the world? No. But it's one that can can you survive with? Can you be a, a contender with? Can you go into a playoff with? Yeah, it's not the best, but it's it's you make do with what you have. And like you said, if you can if it ends up being at Ranger Suarez ends up going back into that role that he had um last year and, and succeeds there too, maybe that helps as well. So I, I think there are ways of making this bullpen better without going crazy. Um maybe you add one big name arm before the deadline. But that's I I think it's workable. Let's put it that way. I I just don't want to see any more Jose Alvarado. I don't want to see any more Jerez Familia. I've had it. I mean, well, strap in because you're going to. Those guys aren't going anywhere. No, it's ridiculous. It's those two are, are just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't want to see it. All right, I know we got to wrap things up here, Bob. Um, two things I wanted to tell you my my funny peacock story, and then I got one last thing for you. Yeah. So uh, the funny Peacock story is you know, Sunday. Um, obviously, you know Sunday is softball softball Sunday for the San Filippo family, um, and uh, we have a new sponsor. Um, and uh, the new sponsor bar is great bar. You got TVs everywhere, right? It's awesome. We're gonna we're gonna go. Uh, Phillies are on early, right? They're the eleven thirty game, right? And so it's like. All right, well, we'll go watch. We'll go watch the Phils. Just sit down. You know, we had a nice doubleheader sweep. We played well. We're gonna go watch the Phils. And we get to the bar, and the bar's like, "Where are the Phillies? Where are the Phillies?" I'm like, "Oh, it's on Peacock." Now they have Xfinity in the bar, mm-hmm. so I said, "We just gotta find the app." Well, they don't have the app for Peacock. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh man!" Like we're coming back all the way, come back to the bar, and they can't, can't even watch the Phillies, right? And all it's on is golf. Um, and then I got the idea, and I said, "I said, you know, I'm like, it's a shame you guys don't have." like a Chromecast, because I said, I have Peacock on my phone. And the bartender, she goes, I have a Chromecast in my car. I said, what? She said, yeah. She said, I just happened to have it in my car. She's like, I, I was supposed to put it on my TV and forgotten. It's in the, It's been in the trunk of my car for forever. I'm like, do you want to go get it? And she's like, yeah. And so they put it in the back of the TV. <laughs> and casting for my phone at the bar so everybody can watch the Phillies game. Local so hero, a, Anthony. I was a Stanford hero. Local, and of course, they got their ass kicked, so it didn't yeah. matter, right? <laughs> so that was uh, that was my Peacock story. Um, one last thing, and this is going to be something that, that you brought to people's attention, Bob. Okay. Yeah, this is something I'm going to throw it to you because this was your thing. Uh, game six of the World Series in 2021 had 14 million viewers <laughs> game six of the nba finals this year between uh, golden state and boston 13.9 million viewers is baseball dying <laughs> no i think that what we're uh i think what we're hearing here is that uh, there are more people legally streaming uh, NBA games, I guess. That was that was the explanation. That was the uh, blowback to that number. Uh, but no, I think it does illustrate that that baseball is not, in fact, dead. And I, I will say, I mean, let's just be honest. We know from a national perspective that two really good baseball teams playing on Sunday night isn't going to draw the same type of interest as 
you know, when you have superstar matchups in the NBA, you know, Steph Curry versus LeBron James, you know, Giannis, Santa Canupo and, and versus Steph Curry. Like those games are just going to draw natural right. sports observers in where, whereas, you know, Padres and Braves just isn't, isn't going to quite do it. Even with Acuna and, and, um, Tatis. guy like Tatis on the field, you know, when those guys are both playing and I get that and I can see that, but I do think that we, we see here that the demise of baseball um, in terms of television ratings, in terms of interest, both nationally and certainly locally, are, are way, way overdone. You see here how the Phillies have played lately, and you see the interest in this team. I mean, I can just tell you our own website metrics. You know, Philly stories do better when the Phillies win. I mean, the, the traffic, the engagement on Facebook and on social media is, is much more uh, consistent. And, I mean, while it doesn't draw from a national perspective, when baseball teams are good in market, in markets where the game truly matters, right. you could argue for 10 years the game hasn't truly mattered in Philadelphia because the team has been so bad. But you see it now, man. People care about this. And yet, and yet, if you look at TV ratings locally. I know. I, I know. Phillies are number two consistently behind the Eagles. I know. Consistently ahead of the Sixers and Flyers consistently and as, as good as the Sixers have been and as poor as the Phillies have been the Phillies still get better TV ratings than but as, as for a while now, is that because more 72 year olds are at home on a Wednesday night and, yes you can you could certainly skew no, it for the older that, right it's you an older demographic older. yeah sure yeah you could certainly skew it to the older demographic but that got people got to remember that is still a demographic yeah I mean those those people do still exist it's not like uh, yes is the is the main um, target, you know, for demographic that you're looking at is that 20, 21 to 54, because that's where the money is, right? If people are going to buy advert, you know, if the advertisers are going to be targeting those people, of course, that's your primary demographic. But there are people who, who religious, my mother never watched sports in her life. Since she retired, she doesn't miss a Phillies game. Right, well, knows, which would lend itself to the, the point that, hey, you know, those numbers are being driven by a demographic that is... Yeah, but 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 and that and that's okay. I mean, you know, but my I mean, yes. So can you can you still make the argument that yeah, younger younger the younger generation doesn't care as much about baseball? You certainly can make that argument. But I do not think that baseball is dying. Baseball's got baseball's got issues, but it's not dying. I think it's a different way to look at it. I mean, youth baseball is still huge. Travel baseball is huge. High school baseball is huge softball i mean i know yeah. that we're not talking we're talking about different things here but you just said hey at the san filippo household sunday softball think about right. all of the travel softball teams and how many guys are out there playing both young and old guys that are just out of college guys that are 57 years old the game is the game and yeah. you know it's not going anywhere and this whole idea that, that baseball's dead it's just this baseball's a flawed game there are things that it has to figure out there are things that it's trying to figure out as we go and whether it does or it doesn't, I don't know, but this idea that just simply nobody cares is just untrue. It's true. It's, it's exactly that's, and that's my point, you know, and, and I think it's funny and I, look, and I know that my son, my son and his friends are, are a, um, they're in the minority here, but we're talking about a bunch of guys who are mid twenties, who all they do is sit around and I'm on their discord thing i don't know how i ended up in there but i end up i ended up in their little discord it's 95 percent baseball conversation and it's like 12 guys all in their mid-20s just and they're talking about just like us the minutiae of baseball 
historical stuff, current. I mean, it's all they care about. My, you know, my son's now doing a lot of research on uh, the, you know, the 1920s era of baseball. You know, and doing stuff like it's like putting like a, a whole little thesis together about it just for fun. Like, I mean, this is what, and, and that's great. I love it, but don't get me wrong. I'm like, I raised that kid right. Okay. So I did, I did yeah, something is, good there. He is yeah. your son. Yeah. Yeah. He's my kid. But I mean, so, but I mean, it's not, he's not alone. And I do think that there are more pockets of that out there than, than people care to realize. Maybe we don't notice it as much here in the Northeast. But I mean, think about baseball in Florida or Texas yeah. or California, Southern California, where it's a year round sport, Arizona. Like, I think that those places, if we went there and spent six months there or whatever, and we realized how important baseball really is to those communities, be like, yeah, man, there's no way this sport's dying in this country. It's, it's, it, it's fallen off a little bit, but it's not, it's not dying by any stretch of imagination. So that's, that, that was just my little baseball rant today that you were able to agree, agree I, with. Yeah, you get no pushback. I wish we could have more of a spirited debate. I just nod my head in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that will uh, do it for this episode of Crossed Up. I know that we had talked about doing an episode later last week, uh, the doubleheader on Friday. Honestly, kind of took the wind out yeah. of the sails there. Uh, it would be our expectation to be back later this week with a new episode as the Phillies go to Texas for two games and then kick off a series with the uh, San Diego Padres. Big week ahead. Can the Phillies sustain the momentum? Or do they become the Phillies again? Uh, stay tuned and we will find out. I'm Bob Wankel uh, for Anthony Sanfilippo. Thanks for tuning in to Crossed Up, and we will talk to everybody soon.